So hello guys, uh, we are back with Ken Gishinga uh, on this week's episode of uh, Financial Management on the 2030 podcast and we're going to be tackling the issue of enhancing revenue streams and for this one I urge you all grab a pen and a paper and listen in. Each and every time our parents tell us life is hard, life is hard, the economy is bad, all the time. Things are, everybody wants to earn that extra shilling and coin. But let's just begin from, is it uh, bad, for example, especially for those who are in formal employment, is it bad to have a side hustle? Absolutely not. I think um, even the Bible says we should use our talents to the very best of our ability. So you should maximize your talent. Of course, your side hustle should not be in conflict in interest with your main job. I think that's normally the main point of departure. Mm -hmm. But if your side hustle is different from your 9 to 5, there's no problem. You can have as many because the plan was for you to be wealthy and you want to grow to be wealthy. So if you can use your talents and make wealth, by all means, I don't think there's anybody who wants to remain poor in this world forever. So I think the key thing is just for somebody to ask, does this conflict with my current position? And if it does, then you might need to have a chat, maybe the HR, some companies are very open. They say, yes, declare your side hustle, but just make sure we give you an approval or we don't, or at least there's no conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, I mean, banking, for example, uh, I have to make sure my side hustle is, I'm also not doing banking on the side, you know, or such things. So I think that's a key thing. But besides that, absolutely, be as productive, make as much money as you, your talents allow you to do. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned something very important, talent. Mm-hmm. The best form of side hustle then would be something you're passionate about. Correct. Is that so? What if I'm passionate about media? and I'm in media, for instance, mm-hmm. and you've just told me I can't do a side hustle that is in conflict with what I do. Mm-hmm. Would there then be an alternative so that I say, okay, I can't open an, another media house since I'm already working for somebody in the media house? Well, that's a very good question. And the word media is very broad. Yeah, I don't think we can use it broad. I think you have to look at what's my specific task at work. Let's say I work at KTN as an editor mm-hmm. and edit articles for the print, for example. Obviously, if I did something on another angle of photography or music, it's still media, but it's very, very different. Mm-hmm. So the sector, it's not really about the sector. You can have the side hustle being in the same sector as your main gig. Uh, but the key thing is, is your tasks, are they the same, for example? So it's a, it's one of those things where you really have to get advice. It's good to have an expert advisor to really look at what your side hustle is mm-hmm. and look at your main job. Because sometimes when you are part of that situation, you might not see what the conflict of interest But somebody who's a bit detached, mm-hmm. they'll be like, ah, you, I don't think you see there's a conflict, but I can see a conflict of interest. It always goes to go to a third party and even to be open sometimes with your employer. I think sometimes employers love employees who are open with them. And they say, I'm thinking about this. Is it okay? And if it's not, let me know in advance. Sometimes you might have people who want to run for politics, to run for an MP when they're employed as a media personality. So you can see sometimes there are many angles. So you can't come up with a law for all situations. I think the key thing is to sit down, sit with the next part, especially a HR 
expert. Maybe if you're not comfortable in your HR in your company, talk to somebody out there who's a HR person and ask them from your angle, are you seeing a potential conflict of interest? That that should be it. And if you don't see there's a conflict of interest, go ahead and do it. At what point does one know whether they're earning or making enough money to warrant them to start a side hustle. Because for some people, earning 50,000 a month is bliss. To others, 50 Gs a month is peanuts. So how do you know at this point, I say, now, team, I think here I'm not getting enough to handle the kind of lifestyle I lead and therefore I need a side hustle. How do you decide? Well, they only say Pesa Zitoshi. I know even CEOs who earn millions, but still have sidekicks. So it really depends on what's your goal in life. It's your passion, as you say. So for some people, that 50K might, might meet everything they've ever wanted to do in this life. But there are people who 50K can't even fund one weekend of what they want to do. So everybody is different. So obviously, if you feel the salary is not really uh, meeting most of your objectives, uh, go and do it. But even even if you're comfortable, I want to say stretch yourself. Even if you have a good salary and uh, you're doing well, I always say if you have extra time, why waste it? You can put it, and that money can actually be buffer for future use. You never know what will happen in the corporate world nowadays. Things, everything is happening. So let's say if you have some latitude and you can do some some activity which does not interfere with your work-life balance, go ahead and do it. I think being as productive as we can is one of the best things we can do as human beings. Even when you're comfortable, stretching, stretch goals are always very good. They make us better people. What if what if you try and fail? Because I think 90% of the reason why people don't go for what they want is the fear of failure. That I might try this to earn an extra dime, then it backfires on me. Well, you have to overcome that fear. I can't think of any proper businessman who's not failed. So if you have a thin skin and you're scared of failure, then you really have to try and uh, build up what is called a resilient muscle. Because businessmen, think of even the founder of Optiven, uh, George Vashuri. I mean, he said he had 15 companies which collapsed before he founded Optiven. I know Optiven is one of the top real estate companies in the country, goes to Dubai, Finland. 15 companies? 15 companies, yeah. I mean, George Vashuri is some, is a next, is a good, good, good uh, example of resilience. There's a very good book called Grit. It's all about grit. And can you even if we defined grit to mean greatness requires internal toughness, I think that's a very good. But absolutely, I think one of the beauties about business, it helps you create that muscle to sustain, and that muscle can help you in many other things. If you want to run for politics, if you have any endeavor in life, you have to have a resilient muscle because learning is like riding a bike. You will fall the one, you'll fall the two, then one day you'll ride the bike, bicycle well. So you always have to know this might not work, but even if it does not work, you always learn something new about yourself. Even if it does not work, this, I always say this is a total failure. You might fail in a project, but you'd be like, ah, so that's how I should have done it. So it's never really total failure. You always want, you're always better off. Whether it's success or failure, you're always better off. What about for those young people who are yet maybe to find a job? You're just from college, you're fresh out of graduation, you're looking to get into the job market, but things are not 
turning out the way you had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you still have to eat, you still have to clothe, right. you don't want to depend so much on your folks. Right. How would you advise them to maneuver in such a way that they become financially comfortable and be able to get where they need to? I think first, very quickly, is to know what they are good at and what they're not good at. I think that is something, even during university, you should graduate knowing I'm talented in ABCD and I'm not good in EFG. I'm not good in math, so there's some careers I don't want to. I'm not good with people, so there's some. So very quickly, such a graduate should ask themselves, what am I good at? What do my friends think I'm good at? If I'm good with people, if I'm good, I'm an extrovert, then let me look for careers that take people like me, like the events or marketing or PR. Then I say, okay, that's step one. I think I want to go into an environment that's more people facing. Step one. Step two, I can't see any jobs. I know I like people, I like to work with people, I love the events industry. Um, Can I volunteer? Can I just look at what are the top events companies? Maybe go to Mosan, go to Homeboys or whatever. Say, I want to volunteer and just learn about the industry. One month, two months, you start building that acumen. And once you have that on your CV, you start getting more interest. It's the key thing is getting into ecosystems where you might get hired. So getting as closer to the ecosystems. Sometimes you may not find the, the job, but you're getting as close to those things that you love. <laughs> and eventually what really happens is you get somebody moves out from one of those companies and they say, oh, we have somebody who's been volunteering. Are you up for it? So I always say getting as close as possible. So even if you don't get the job, get as close as possible. as possible. In football, if you listen to the top strikers, every time they interviewed on what their strategy for scoring goals, they keep saying, I just want to get into good goal scoring positions. I may not get the cross I'm getting, but I just want to be in that position where if something happens, then I'm very, very close. But people say, <laughs> yeah. you know, for you to be close to that source of power, you right. need to know someone. And especially, you know, you know that thing here in Kenya, mm-hmm. and I, I get this a lot, even mm-hmm. on my inbox on social media and all that. Right. Just help me, link me, connect me to this person. If you do, then I'll have gotten there. There's this notion where you have to know someone in mm. this country mm. for you to make any headway. How do young people overcome that? And is it true, first of all? There are people who obviously have been helped by people. They know people. People have different networks. Some people are more networked than other people, and other people are less. It's a fact of life. If you are more networked, you should take that as a privilege, because it means you have more access to more information, and you should use that in the best way. If you are, if you don't think you are well networked, uh, I think one of the beautiful things we have nowadays is social media, for example. Let's say I'm thinking I want to get into the standard group. I can start following events that the standard group does on social media. Maybe sometimes they're having some event somewhere, some cocktail somewhere where the CEO will be there with the HR. Because of social media, I can try and position. Maybe I'll be told, oh, they're having an event at Sarova tomorrow. So I can try and position myself, be in Sarova, just within those vicinities. And who knows? Maybe the CEO or the HR director might just pass by and you have your 30-second elevator speech. And that is it. The question is, do you have your elevator speech ready <laughs> when the sometimes opportunity comes then you're like okay you forget for the but sometimes yeah. opportunity really comes very close and but you're not ready so the key question is if i was to meet some of these big people what would i 
tell them in one minute in one that's what something called in business the elevator speech between ground floor and the eighth floor mm. can you summarize and say hey my name is Timothy Ocheno I think I'm excellent in ABCD I know I'd love to work for standard group that's grip so the key question is but those elevator moments don't come unless you're within the vicinity so you have to try and to be look at where are the things happening and how can I get close? And because of the information nowadays, in a long time there was no social media, you never knew where corporates were doing anything. But nowadays, if I to get into Safaricom, if I follow them, I'll only see the CEOs are doing this, so I can try and get into those, what I call them, ecosystems, mm-hmm. and you get to know one person, and one person leads you to another person, and you get information, and all of a sudden, you hear they are recruiting. So I always say, information is part of relationships. When you invest in relationships, you get more insight and more intelligent. So also build relationships. And not relationships to get jobs, but build relationships genuinely. Okay. Out of those relationships, you'll get insights. Someone will tell you, oh, I think these guys are recruiting. You will try and send your CV as soon as possible. So I don't think we should have a defeatist mentality. Because in Kenya, you're right. People say you can't get anywhere without a godfather. You can't. That's not true. I know people who, uh, I know one young man, he applied to a particular bank eight times before they called him for an interview. Wow. But yes, they kept rejecting eight times. And on the eighth, they invited him. So resilience is also Very another true. thing. Yeah, sometimes we can oversimplify by saying, oh, in Kenya, you can't go ahead because of this. But that's not true. I'm not saying it doesn't, ha- doesn't happen, mm-hmm. but I'm saying it doesn't happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what about the issue of, because I've had this, I've also questioned this myself, I must admit, uh, that somebody believes I'm not business oriented, that business is not for me. Mm. Business is not for everyone. But at the end of the day, I also want to earn an extra coin on the side. What would you tell such a person? I would say try. Try, try. There's never a harm in trying. If you feel you can, you have something to provide this world and you can actually make a shilling out of it, try it. You might not succeed in the first instance, but you might succeed in the second or in the third. So I think the fear of failure is one of, in fact, those, our president used to say, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. So once you overcome that fear and say, even if you fail, what's the worst thing that can happen? Nothing. Life life goes on and stuff. So I think when the moment people develop that hard skin, they say there's actually nothing to fear. If I succeed, I succeed. If I fail, I fail. And I move on. Once you have that mindset, nothing can stop you. You'll try, and these things is a game of numbers. Even if you fail once, it'll come to another way. Nobody's doomed to success, to failure forever, mm-hmm. and not everybody's successful in anything forever. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, um, first of all, am I honest with myself? Am I good? If I'm not good with math, and I know I'm not good with math, I've never been good in math, why am I looking for that audit accounting job? You see, I'm already setting myself for failure. You see, those are that, those are some of the things that you have to take care of. But if people say, I'm particularly good in this skill, then it means it's only a matter of time before the job comes. So I just need to be persistent and ask myself, I'm good in writing, yes. What are the opportunities open for a writer? A, B, C, D. As long as you keep pursuing them, it's only a matter of time before other people recognize them. The worst thing is to be, when you start playing yourself, when you start going to things where you don't have a natural talent. I think that's where crisis normally begins. Mm-hmm. Where, what or where should I channel these monies, these extra funds that I get from my side hustle? Mm-hmm. What should this money be used for? I already have a salary, mm-hmm. perhaps at the end of the month, but I'm doing a side hustle that is earning me money. Where do I take this money? 
Well, there are two types of scenarios. There is somebody who has a side hustle, and they just like the side hustle being the side hustle forever. So that money, they could use it maybe for future savings for future. But there are people who are using this side hustle as a vehicle to one day leaving their job. So they need to invest in that business. Maybe they say in the next three years, they don't want to be employed. So year one is to set everything, year two to grow, year three to hire them, year four is for me now to resign. But there are people who, they never want to resign for their main job, they just want that side hustle. So obviously how they spend will be different. For one person, that side hustle will be sufficient. They don't need to grow it vigorously. But for the second person who they actually want it to be their main source of income, they have to be more deliberate because like I'll be getting my rent from this side hustle. So I need to grow it more strategically. I think that is the difference. Okay. Should you how often should one channel the funds from their main gig into the side business? No, and I get that question a lot. In fact, some people say I've been running a side business and it's making a loss. It's been making a loss for two, three years. Why should I just cut it off? <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep, <laughs> I keep saying it's an element of growth. In your second year, are you better off than your first year? In your third year, are you better off? So it could be loss-making, mm-hmm. but you're making less and less losses. It means you're on your road to profitability. But if you're getting deeper and deeper into losses every year, then maybe it's important maybe you get a business consultant talk to them, ask them, is this something viable? Is this something truly viable? And if it's not, just call it call it a day. But I really feel most businesses don't get to their full, full potential mm-hmm. until their third, fourth birthday. And that's a thing, because that's when the market has really known you, studied you, heard about you. So I always, in, I always advise people, if you can make your business get to its fourth birthday, mm-hmm. If it's still not viable, then you can say, okay, this one, let me try something new. But typically, you'll find most businesses that get to their <coughs> fourth birthday, they do very well. Mm-hmm. The problem with very many young people that I have noticed, perhaps it's a personal bias, <coughs> correct me if I'm wrong, <coughs> is we lack patience. Mm-hmm. This young generation want quick fixes, quick money, overnight success. I want to leave school today, be a CEO tomorrow. <laughs> and it really affects the manner in which we handle finances or we seek to get finances. What advice would you have for young people in regards to understanding how money matters works and just being patient enough to see the process all the way to the very end? I think one of the best books on that topic is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers, where he comes up with the concept of the 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. In fact, he looks at famous people and he asks, what is it that make these people outliers in terms of they're much better than their peers? And if you look at them, they had patience. They invested in their craft, whether it was Michael Jordan or Bill Gates. There's a period in their life where they invested and invested. So the key thing is patience, patience pays like literally and figuratively. So the person, ask yourself first of all, am I passionate about this thing? Am I good in this thing? Is there something better I can be doing? If the answer is no, focus on that. You should always be doing the best thing that 
you should do that, that you can be doing. Mm. And as long as that is true, you'll never be distracted by other things because in your mind, I'm doing, I am a good baker. I bake cakes. My passion is cakes. So as long as I'm investing in my bakery, it might not take off year one because maybe there's a lot of competition. But as people get to learn about my cakes, as people get to learn about my brand, you'll find in the third, fourth year, you have a steady revenue client base because it takes time to build a client and clients want somebody stable. So if you have for you to get to have 10, 20, 30, 50 clients, it takes time. So patience pays, but patience in but it's easier to apply that law on something you love. Mm-hmm. It's easier to be patient on something you enjoy. Exactly. Than on something that you love. That's why we always say start with things that you enjoy because what separates people in the same industry is the passion. Somebody will quit because there's no passion to begin with. All they ever wanted was money. But for somebody who sees they're actually growing, even in the challenges, even in the losses, they feel they still feel they're better. They're better people than they were when they started. Such people typically in about two, three years will strike it into profit and they'll grow forever. So the key thing is, am I using my talents? Do I enjoy what I'm doing? If it's yes, yes, then it's only a matter of time. And that's what the patience checks in. The do's and don'ts in enhancing revenue streams. Uh, don't get into things that you're not good at or you don't have a passion for. Sometimes people just want to see revenue. They say, me, I just want to see 40K coming into my account. Whatever I'm doing, and I'll just say, avoid that. Try and get into events, things that you actually uh, enjoy because you'll you'll be resilient even in the tough times you'll be like i still like this industry despite it not loving me <laughs> i still love it very much so that's a do that's a do so get into things that you have a talent get into things that you enjoy get into things that you can grow what i would say don't is don't um don't try and be overzealous about growing your business overnight because it never happens overnight. Even the biggest brands, it go, they took time. Even a baby, baby has to be one. It has to crawl. It has to walk, then run. It's the natural life cycle of any organization. So even in your crawling phase, appreciate it's a crawling phase. And don't let other people pressurize you. Because people come and tell you, oh, you're running a business. Is your office in Westlands? If you have a high end, don't yield into that pressure. There's nothing wrong with working from home. There's nothing wrong with you just having your uh, working from your laptop at home because people are saying, "Oh, you've been in business, then you should be having this whole mahogany desk." Don't get into that pressure. You know what is your long-term strategy. Many businesses, the first one year, have run from the living room of an apartment. The second year, they moved to an apartment to an office. So it's normal. So don't let other people dictate. The speed of your business you are the main decision maker people will give you recommendations take the ones that are practical people will be telling you oh be advertising the business daily put it but they don't know how much it costs to advertise so be creative and say okay i can't afford an ad in the business daily but how can i use the media to boost my brand social what are media. Yeah, social media so be creative but keep the costs in check and don't allow external pressure to dictate the price that you're growing is there anything like a bad side hustle well you've said one thing that is in conflict with your current job is not a good side hustle another thing that is um, criminal in nature you might have some criminal ventures which are very lucrative but they'll land you in jail that's not also a good thing or something it may not be criminal but things that uh, maybe are not don't have a common good 
for people so you should be careful for that uh, but really i think most ventures i think are noble they create employment they create employment for other people and they only have positive externalities moving forward is there a minimum amount of funds i need to have to start my side hustle i don't think there's a minimum if you've talked to business entrepreneurs there are people who've started with a million there are people who've started with 10000 that people so it really depends on what the venture is if somebody wants to start an empire agent that's not a lot of money if you want to start a restaurant that's a big so i think at every stage that people even started bakeries with 2000 shillings 3000 shillings if you read these um, um, entrepreneur um, briefs in the app in the papers people tell you they started with 5000 shillings the key thing is not what you start with but how you use it the people started with a million and lost the entire one million. Others have started with 15k and now the business worth 500k. Ken, what an honor <laughs> it has been to have you with us uh, for these past three episodes and the insights that you have given our listeners. I know they are very much invaluable, so we do thank you for sparing time for us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.